Have you ever wondered why some Christ followers seem to keep growing in their relationship with Jesus while others sometimes seem to lose interest and grow stagnant? Or maybe that's happened to you during your religious walk or your spiritual walk or your walk with the Lord. Maybe there's times you've become stagnant and it seems like that your relationship isn't growing and vibrant like it ought to be. And after observing these phenomenon for better part of 40 years, I'm convinced that the answer can be boiled down to one word, and that one word is faith. Some people make a decision for Christ based on something other than saving faith. They may make a decision based on emotion. They might make a decision based on peer pressure. Maybe the desire to please someone, a spouse or a parent or a grandparent or Maybe they've been going to church all their life and they just feel like that's the thing everybody does. And so they get saved and it's not faith-based. In the well-known parable of the sower, we know that the seed, which is the word, fell on four different types of soil, which are hearts. And three of the four soil types didn't grow, didn't mature, and didn't reproduce fruit. Now for those of you who are non-math majors, that 75% of the seed that was sowed died before it ever reached maturity. Three out of the four seeds died. These seeds represent human hearts. And as we've already said, people come to Christ for many different reasons. Most of these decisions end at best in carnal, casual Christians, and at worst, it leaves people leaving the faith and walking away from the Lord. Our ability to grow is based in large part on the type of faith we cultivate toward Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but a great faith will bring heaven to your soul. When we come to Jesus Christ in salvation, when we trust Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior, he enrolls us in the school of faith. Uh, when you go to college, the different colleges you go to, they have different schools. There's a of where I went to college, there was a school of business, there was a school of arts, there was a school of music, a school of theology, school of education. There, there are different schools you go to. Well, when we are saved, God enrolls us in his school of faith. Life is our classroom. We don't know how long our life's going to be. We don't know how long we're going to live. But as long as we live, Life is our classroom. Life is our teacher. Life experiences help us either grow our faith or lose our faith. Just like life is the classroom, the Bible is our textbook. You take classes they, at the beginning of the semester, you'll get a syllabus and you'll get a list of textbooks you have to get. Well, our classroom is faith and our textbook is life. Well, life is our classroom, rather, and the Bible is our textbook. The apostles and the prophets and the biblical authors, they are our professors. And I suppose if we had to have a dean of the school of faith, 
Abraham would be that dean. Paul says of Abraham in Romans 4.11 that Abraham is the father of them that believe. And for those that have been coming to our Romans class on, Wednesday, or on Sunday night, remember we studied the fact that Abraham is the father of anybody that comes to faith in the Lord, whether they be Jew or whether they be Gentile. Abraham is the father of them that believe. And can I state up front before we go any further that soul-saving faith is more than just an intellectual exercise. It's more than just saying in our head, I believe. The devils believe and tremble. The devils know exactly who Jesus is. Remember in Jesus' life, he would come to a demon-possessed man, and there was a time that demon-possessed man says, Jesus, I know. Or they say, Jesus, have you come to torment us before our time? When Paul in the book of Acts was talking to the sons of Sceva, a demon-possessed guy, he says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, who are you? And the demon jumps out and beats the guy up, and the guy runs off beaten and naked. The demons know who Jesus is. Satan knows who Jesus is. Satan has a Satan is a great theologian. What Satan does not have is saving faith. What the demons do not have is saving faith. Hebrews 10, 38 and Romans 1, verse 7 both quote Habakkuk when they say that the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Living by faith means so much more than just making a profession of faith at the point of salvation. Living by faith is a lifestyle. Can I repeat that? Living by faith is a lifestyle. It's more than something that we do the day we get saved. This morning we're going to examine the life of Abraham as we try to learn from his example just what it means to live by faith. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is often called the Hall of Fame of Faith. There's a lot of Old Testament uh, characters that are mentioned here, some of the different things that they did in their lives to show us about their faith. But this morning we're going to focus on Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 19. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed 
those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. In this text, there are at least six principles, six building blocks for us to build an enduring faith. Six principles by which, if we'll apply them to our life, apply them to our walk, we can have a life that is, we can truly say we're living by faith and not by sight. First of all, back to verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. If we are going to have a life-building, enduring faith, we have to learn to hear God's voice. We have to hear when God speaks to us. Abraham heard the voice of God. Abraham was called. Keep your Bible marked at Hebrews 11. And let's go back to Genesis chapter 12 as we talk about and look at the call of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, he was Abram at this time, God would later change his name to Abraham. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land I'll show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Before God called him, Abraham was a pagan. Not only was he a pagan, he was 75 years old, living in Ur of the Chaldees. Today we know that area as what we would call Iraq. That's where Abram was living. He was 75 years old when God called him. So don't you think that you've been too bad? Or don't you think that you're too old for God to call you and use you and enroll you in the school of faith. Abraham was a 75-year-old pagan, amen? And God called him. God used him and he made four basic promises to Abraham. Number one, God promised that he would give Abraham a land, a promised land. Number two, he promised he would make a great nation out of Abraham's children. Number three, he said through his bloodline, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then number four, God promised Abraham that he would bless those who blessed him and curse those who cursed him. Notice as we read chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, how many times God said, I will, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Verse 3. 
I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. Abraham heard the promises of God, and Abraham believed them. Notice the difference in Abraham and the people in Genesis 11. Look at the previous chapter, Genesis 11, what we would call the Tower of Babel. Beginning in verse 1, Genesis 11, 1, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. That's Babylon, by the way. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, verse 4, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. See the difference? In Genesis 12, God said, I will. Abraham believed God, and he built a relationship with God to the end of Abraham's life. God said that Abraham was a friend of God. The people at the Tower of Babel, they built for themselves. They themselves were their focus. They tried to make a name for themselves. They wanted to build a tower for themselves, and that ended in disaster. Listen to me now. Too many of us today are so busy building our legacies that we can't hear God. When God calls. The question is not. Does God call. The question is. Are we listening. Y'all remember the Sprint commercial. From a few years ago. Where the guy has a telephone. And he'd go different places. Can you hear me now. And then he'd go way over here. And he'd say. Can you hear me now. How many times is God saying that to us. God will try to get our attention some kind of way. It may be through a blessing. It might be through an illness. It might be through relationship challenges. It might be through a job challenge. And God says, can you hear me now? God is calling. The question is, are we listening? Now, as we go back to Hebrews, on your way back to chapter 11, stop at Hebrews chapter 1. As we ask the question, well, how exactly does God call us? We need to know that. If, if God calls and we know that he does, how then does God call us? Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. God. That's a pretty good way to start a letter, isn't it? God. Who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophet, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. If you want to know what the theme of the first four verses of the book of Roman, or book of Hebrews is, it's the fact that God spoke. God has never left his creation without his revelation. God has always spoken. Now, in pre-Bible times, God spoke in various different supernatural ways. Uh, the King James says in divers' manners, at just various and sundry 
uh, many different ways, many different matters. I got to thinking about how he did that, and, and God spoke directly to Adam. Remember when he came to the garden and says, Adam, where are you? He spoke to Cain and says, Cain, where's your brother? He spoke directly to Noah and said, Noah, build an ark. Abraham, and Abraham, uh, in Genesis 12, verse 7, he sees a man or an angel. We don't know exactly who this was, but God revealed himself to Abraham that way. God spoke to Moses, how? Out of a burning bush. Remember that? Moses saw a bush that was burning up or was on fire, but it wouldn't burn up. So he says, huh, I need to go investigate that. And then God spoke to him. He spoke to Balaam by way of a donkey. To me, that's one of the most entertaining. I know the Bible's not written for our entertainment, but it can make a great story on Lifetime. Don Balaam's donkey talks to him, and Balaam turns right around and talks back to the donkey like that donkey's been talking to him all his life. He, he doesn't seem surprised that the donkey's talking. The, uh, if you remember, the, the way get the donkey can see the angels of the Lord with swords, Balaam can't see them, and so the donkey just stops suddenly and almost throws Balaam off, and Balaam swats him, and he does it two or three times, and Frank, then the donkey said, why are you swatting me? What have I done bad to you? And Balaam says, you almost made me fall off. They have a conversation. God speaks in various times in various ways. God spoke through judges. God spoke through prophets. God spoke through prophetesses. Prophetesses? Female prophets. <laughs> He spoke to Saul and Paul out of a great light. He spoke to Peter in a vision on the housetops. In other words, in times past, God spoke in lots of different ways. But notice what the Hebrew writer says in verse 2. But in these last days, that's us. We're living in the last days. In these last days, he speaks through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Logos, the Word of God. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all Scripture is inspired of God. That means it's God-breathed. God breathed it out. And it's profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect or complete or mature or adequate. If you want to find the will of God and the mind of God today, we go to the Word of God. I want you to think about something. At first glance, we would think that maybe Abraham and Noah and all those folks, they had an advantage over us because God spoke to them directly. Don't think for a minute that's the case because in their day, if you were waiting on a word from God, you'd have to wait till God showed up. That God would call through a prophet or God would come see you. And you might have to wait for 400 years. There's 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. Today, y'all, if you want to know the mind of God, if you want to know the will of God, if you want to hear from God, open up your Bible. It's available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. 300 and 
65 days a year. And not only that, as Christians, when we're born again, we're given two gifts from God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Two gifts that we get from God that help us when it comes to hearing from God. First Corinthians two, verse fourteen. Let's go back to verse ten for context. First Corinthians two, verse ten. But God has revealed them, that's his word, his mind, to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Look at verse 13. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches us, but which the Holy Spirit teaches us, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Look at verse 16. For who is known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? But we have, what's it say? The mind of Christ. As Christians, we have two things. We have the Holy Spirit, and we have the mind of Christ. The natural man is the worldly man. The natural man is the unsaved man. Those who aren't saved, this Bible seems crazy to them. Think about this. If you weren't saved, if this wasn't the bedrock of your faith, wouldn't it sound crazy that God came to earth in the form of a human and lived a perfect life and was, and was crucified and died on the cross as a sacrifice for mankind and was buried and laid in the tomb for three days and he was resurrected to live forever? That sounds crazy, doesn't it? But to those of us who are being saved, we have the mind of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. God has allowed you to see that. Do you know why some folks get saved and some folks don't get saved? Because for those who are being saved, for those who are God is calling to himself, God has given them the ability to hear and to understand. And after we're saved, God gives us his spirit. When we're born again, he gives us his spirit. He gives us his mind. We die to ourselves. God starts making us more like Jesus. He puts Jesus' mind in us. And so not only are we able to open our Bibles and hear from God, we're able to open our Bibles and understand what it is God says. And can I say this? Somebody says, I don't study the Bible because I can't understand it. Can I tell you that it takes a lifetime to discover God's will and God's ways. Marie works with first graders. And I know that first grade is harder than first grade was when 
we were in first grade. But I'm pretty sure that they don't teach first graders trigonometry. They still pretty well teach two plus two is four. Now they teach it in a different way. And you got to write 15 pages as when you show your work as to how two plus two is four. But it's the basics. They don't teach trigonometry to a first grader because the first grader's not ready. You know what far too many Christians want to do? Far too many Christians want to get saved and start, they go right to Revelation. Or they'll go right to Daniel, or they'll go to the hard stuff. Can I suggest to you that as Christians, we need to learn the basics? And as we learn the basics, the milk of the word, God starts giving us meat to where we can handle more and handle more. And, and as we walk, and as we study, and as we work, as we hear more from God, as we exercise those muscles, we'll be able to hear and understand God. Today, generally, God calls us through the pages of his word. Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The question is, when God calls, are we too busy to hear? When God calls, What's God going to have to do to get through to you? And can I tell you this? Listen to me now. If you belong to God, He will get through. The question is, what's He going to have to do to get through? If I'm going to live a life that is faith-based, if I'm going to live a life that I can truly say, I have a relationship with the Lord based on faith. I must first and I must foremost be able to distinguish the voice of God. I have to hear from God. I have to take the time to listen for God. Here's a question. How many of us when we are driving and we're, we see a train track coming. Do we slow down and look and listen? I've got to admit, most of the time I don't. I just blow straight on through, listen to my radio, blaring straight up. I'm depending on those signals to work, right? What if they don't? Don't you suppose it'd be a good idea if we come to a railroad track to slow down a little bit, turn the radio down, and Take a peek around to see if a train's coming. Because I got news for y'all, no matter how good your car might be, no matter how souped up it is, it's not going to win a fight with a train. Too many of us live our lives the same way we drive. With our radio turned up full blast. Singing the song by the Eagles, Take It Easy. And we don't make time to listen for the Lord. I've got a question. I'm fixing to quit. You'll have to come back next week to get the next five principles. How many of us make doctor's appointments? We're not feeling very well, so we make a doctor. I hate them. 
I hate going to the doctor. I hate going to the hospital. I, I would be happy if I never had to go the rest of my life. But when I feel bad, I make a doctor's appointment. I even got one coming up next month because I feel good. It's time for my physical. So they can do tests to tell me how come I'm, why I'm going to get, if I'm not feeling bad, they're going to tell me why I'm fixing to feel bad. We make doctor's appointments. We make appointments with our hairstylist. Those of us who have hair. Some of us, we don't have to make that appointment anymore. A friend of mine's bald. He said, some of y'all, God wasn't proud of his head, so he gave you hair. He's proud of mine, so he let me be bald. But we make an appointment with the hairstylist. If we hear a gurgle in our pipes, we make an appointment with the plumber, don't we? If sparks start coming out of the electrical plug or the electrical box, we make an appointment with the electrician. Why in the world as Christians do we live our lives without <coughs> making an appointment with God? To hear from him. If I'm not careful. I'll do my daily Bible reading. And say okay I, that's done. I'm finished. I've got it done. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to get our daily Bible reading done. But when we read scriptures. Are we reading it to get through our daily Bible reading. So we don't get behind. Or are we reading God's word to hear from. What's God telling us? Because can I tell you that in every book of the Bible, in every theme of the Bible, when you put it all together, it points to Jesus. We need to be asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, how does this help me see Jesus? Lord, how does this help me live a life of faith? Lord, I want to hear from you. This just popped in my head. Maybe we don't want to hear from the Lord because we're afraid what he's going to tell us. You suppose? Sometimes we don't go to the doctor. My mama. I love my mama. I'd die for my mama. My mama, she'll feel bad. And I'll say, well, mom, if you go to the doctor, we'll know how come. Well, he might give me bad news. Y'all laugh. Y'all done the same thing. Haven't we? Y'all know why an atheist doesn't pray because he doesn't think there's anybody up there. All too often a Christian doesn't pray because we know there is. Hearing from God. I'm convinced that during those 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, I believe God was speaking. But I believe humans weren't here. You read the book of Judges several times in the book of Judges. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And does that not describe our world today? 
Yes, we may have a president, we may have congressmen, but we don't have anybody in our world that the world looks to and says, that's our God. That's our king. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Well, it might be right for you, but it's not right for me. This isn't right for me, but it, you believe your thing, I'll believe my thing. Y'all, God is speaking through the pages of his word, through the Holy Spirit in our heart, through the mind of Christ. If you're not hearing from God, it's because you got your earplugs in. Amen? If you're not hearing from God, if I'm not hearing from God, it's because I'm too busy. I've got the radio turned up too loud. I've got life playing too loudly in my ears to the point I can't hear God. Have you ever been walking through your house and maybe the, the TV's on, if you come to our house, the TV will be loud because of me and Miss Cozy, neither one can hear thunder. So it, it, we always give Marie a headache because we, we play the TV too loud. So, but... The TV will be on, it'll be loud, and I'll think I hear a noise. I'll ask Marie, what's that noise? And she'll say, well, I don't know, the TV's too loud. What noise? <laughs> Y'all, how many of us are that way with God? Where our life is playing so loudly, we think we may, what's that noise? We need to turn down the light. Turn off the vacuum cleaner. Turn off the lawnmower. Turn off the computer. Turn off the TV. Go sit on your couch. Or if it's a pretty day, go sit on your back porch. Open God's Word and say, God speak. And you know what? He will. Scripture says that those who diligently seek God will find Him. Our trouble is we read a verse, I don't understand that, and we say, I'll ask Brother Andy, or I'll ask, I can't understand, so we don't try anymore. And y'all, please, by all means, ask Brother Andy. There's a box back there. I put on the back table, says, ask Brother Andy. If you've got Bible questions, if there's, there's something on your mind, there's some index cards, I might do a Planks Ponderance, I might do a sermon. Today in our Sunday school class, we had an Ask Brother Andy Sunday school class <laughs> this morning. Didn't mean to, but that's what Sunday school turned into this morning. That's okay. But the best thing you can do for your spiritual walk is to open God's word for yourself. Tap into that Holy Spirit that's living in you. Tap into that mind of Christ and say, Lord, speak. The question is not, is the Lord speaking? He's spoken for time and eternity with his everlasting word. Everything else may pass away. God's word will never pass away. That's in the Bible, by the way. I didn't make that up. It's not as God speaking. That, that's God's always spoke. That's what we said in Hebrews. God spoke. That's the thing. 
If we want to build a relationship with God that's faith-based, it starts with being able to hear God's word. Amen? Amen. Let's bow.